Hello everyone, welcome to Villa Together podcast. Uh, it is a full 90 podcast joint with a preview of the Burnley match because we've had about a week off um, due to me being in hospital. Um, as usual, I'm joined by Mr Ian Gillett. Ian, how are you doing? All right, Chris, how are you doing, pal? Yeah, all good, all good. Um, so what we're going to do, we're going to dive in um, with, with a bit of a preview of the Burnley game to start with. Um, so we will be speaking to Joe from the Turf Cast podcast um, shortly. Um, obviously, we're going to move on to the, to the Wolves game, a bit, bit more of an analysis shortly. After the Wolves win, coming into this Burnley game now, being at home, um, I know we've, we've got a few injuries, but we'll, we'll kind of move on to that in a bit. But just off the kind of, just looking at it on the face of it, Ian, is it a game that realistically we, we should be winning? And and, it, and in kind of, a, I suppose it's a double-edged question with the previous games that we've had where we should be winning this season. We haven't really won them, have we? So so how would you think this one could be different? Yeah, exactly that point, Chris. Um, on paper, the games that we should have won this season, we haven't. And we've come away with a miserable result, the likes of sort of uh, Brighton at home, Maybe you can class Southampton at home as well. And then looking at the West Ham game away, uh, where we should have probably come away with something. Um, yeah, it hasn't gone to plan in terms of uh, looking at the two teams on paper and thinking, well, yeah, we've got bigger strengths than them. We should be able to win this game. So it's another one of those. It falls into that category, doesn't it? Um, it's going to be an interesting game because it's the first sort of proper time that Smith's having to rotate a few of the starting 11 with the uh, suspension of Cash and Louise after the Wolves game. So it's going to be interesting to see who he brings in in those two key positions. And then looking at it on paper, I think it's all about us getting a really good start in this game. I think if you look back at the home games so far that we've come away with a, a miserable result, it's um, it's been due to sort of concentration and starting poorly. Uh, and we know that we do struggle when we do concede the first goal. So it's going to be a, a really tough game. Burnley are going to be confident after that win away at Arsenal. They play a direct style of football. It gets them the results and it has done over the past few seasons in keeping them in the Premier League. So I, I put this down as a really tough game. What are your thoughts? Uh, I, think it's, I think it's a good, thing, good point that you make about the, the early goal. You look at... Um, the last last game at home, we played Brighton. It was what I think it was the, the about the tenth minute. Welbeck scores, and you know, with no disrespect to, to some of these teams, Burnley, you kind of put in that. Um, Brighton get the goal to go one 0 up, and they can then sit back, and it's a kind of totally different game for us then, um, because we're coming up against a team that we, we're having to break down rather than. Um, a team that maybe might be a bit more open. With with Brighton, you may expect that. Burnley, you probably wouldn't as much anyway because of the way they tend to set up. Um, you look at, It was the same with the Southampton game. Um, I think, I mean, it was about the, the fourth minute they scored. It was disallowed, I think, for, for handball against Che Adams. And then you kind of think, right, okay, let off. You think it's going to be a wake-up call. And it wasn't. And then Vestergaard scores, brilliant header. Um, obviously, that's that. That I think that was uh, probably about fifteen minutes later. Brilliant header, 
Again, as we've, we've talked about before, the issue with zonal marking and man marking, the mixture between them and how it hasn't really worked for us. And again, against, you know, I know we went in 3 0 down at um, half time against Southampton, but being 1 0 down within the first 15 minutes, again, with backs against the wall, we're, and it, it kind of it has that negative impact as we know we've got to try and break down a team which potentially could be tougher. I think we've known, especially being in the Premier League, we've known that we have our best chances. To be fair, against, I think, barring. Man City last season, most of the time when we've played the, the traditional top six, so to speak, we've played pretty well. Um, and I think that's probably been because those teams are a bit more expansive and it suits our style of play. The, the space is there for us to run into. You know, Grealish takes players off the ball. We can move the ball into space a bit quicker. So teams like Burnley, Brighton, it does make things tough. So in particular, the Brighton game, going behind... It made it really tough, so it's going to be important to get that early goal. I think going back to talking about our, our home form, we, we we touched on it last week um, before the Wolves game, saying in theory it is black and white. Our home form isn't as good as our away form. I think we, we've won uh, five out of six away from home with the West Ham game being the only defeat. Um, I, I think it's the only away game that we've conceded in as well. Home home form's been a bit of a worry, um, you know. Especially like, like you said before, those games we're playing the teams that you'd expect to win. Um, you know, I think and I think looking at statistically across the season, you take things into consideration like xG when you're looking at expected goals. Leeds, I think, are the only team that's outperformed us xG wise. Um, you know, even Southampton, they scored four against us, and we massively outperformed the xG in that game. We had some really really good chances, so. Going into games like this against Burnley, a team that is going to be, um, they're going to be resolute at the back. They're not in a position in the league where they would expect to be probably after the way they've been the last few seasons. Obviously not not where they'd want to be. Um, and then you kind of, you look at that, you take it into consideration, think, well, we need to be at home. We need to we need to concentrate early doors and not concede early because we did it against West Ham, didn't we? Um, you know, early early goal conceded straight away. We backs against the wall and we're struggling. Um, and as well, it's kind of putting away our chances. Every game we've created really really good chances, and we need to make sure we're putting them away. I think the Wolves game, um, we only just outperformed them on expected goals, but I think that takes into consideration that the the high xG of a penalty. So, really, we need to, to to kind of do a bit more. But um, we're going to speak to to our guest, which is Joe. Joe, how you doing? How you doing, lads? You all right? All right, Joe. Yeah, how good. you doing, pal? Yeah, I'm good, thanks, lads. How are you too? You all right? Yeah, yeah not, too, we're, not too bad. We're doing okay after uh, our result at the weekend, and uh, I bet you are too after that big win at uh, the Emirates. Yeah, first time we've won there since 1974, I think it was. Um, yeah, it, it looked like Burnley of old as well, but I'm sure we'll get into that. <laughs> yeah, um, just first thing I wanted to talk about was was your form this season. Um, so Burnley, since they got promoted, um, was it, is it three? Is it three consecutive seasons in the Premier League? Four consecutive seasons. This this is the fourth. The fourth, yeah. Your form has been, I suppose it has been up and down. There's been a couple of seasons where you've started slow but got into it and you've kind of been renowned as a team that's been hard to beat. You've had, I suppose, 
a style of play which has been direct at times. Um, 4-4-2 seems to be favoured formation of Sean Dyche. This season, again, you've, you've started slowly. Is it something that you're kind of used to, these slow starts, or is this season have you struggled a bit more than usual? Um, I think the season we struggled the most um, was the season that we're in Europe, um, which wasn't last season, it was the season before. Um, the, the only one time that we've done it, actually, we've actually started well, is uh, the season we finished in Europe, which just shows that if we actually start a season well, what we can actually go on and achieve. Um, yeah, but we always seem to start slowly. I think this season, the problem was for me, was we just didn't look interested. Like, I'm happy for him to, to to get beat and be in a bad position in the league if they look interested and, and they look like Burnley, you know, like you just said, difficult to beat. But at the start of this season, we were absolutely shambolic against Newcastle, shambolic against Southampton. We're always shambolic against Manchester City, um, shambolic against Chelsea. Um, but we were missing quite a lot of key players. James Tarkovsky um, had a bruised ego after he couldn't get his move to Leicester. Ben Mee, um, I'm not sure what the issue was with Ben Mee. I think it was a fire issue. Uh, Nick Port missed the game uh, for, due to uh, a coronavirus positive test. Uh, Jay Rodriguez has been injured. Uh, Matty Lawton's been injured. Ashley Barnes has been injured. So, you know, I think that's the reason why we started so slowly this season. But uh, it's not something we, we're used to. Um, it's not something that we enjoy. I think this season I've been a little bit more worried than I was last season, put it that way, but not as worried as I was the season before. Um and just going back, I said this was our fourth season in the Premier League. I think it's actually our fifth. I can't remember. I've lost count. <laughs> well, you know, just just kind of shows, and it reflects the the consistency. Yeah. Um, because I think teams do find it difficult, and um, we've mentioned it a number of times on our podcast about how it's changed since since we got relegated, and since we've come back. I think money has kind of the TV yeah. money's become massive. So it is that bit more difficult. You look at Fulham, who got promoted two seasons ago, went straight back down. They've come back up. Um, they've picked up slightly, but again, they I mean, straight away, they, they struggled. West Brom coming back as well, they've struggled. Um, and even teams like Sheffield United, they're struggling massively. Um, and it, it's an odd one because they kind of, they came up with a team that was their championship team, a team where they had a lot of players that they'd still had from League One. So they, they had that consistency. They've spent money, and in all fairness, you know, they've spent poorly, and yeah. they find themselves rock bottom. Um, you mentioned before about, obviously, the injuries that you've had and stuff like that. Do you kind of, do you think that you usually have a kind of a core a core team, and that's been a big part of your your success over the last few seasons in staying in the league? 100%. I think if you look at our team, um, I know it's not got a lot of, you know, world beaters in there and stuff, but I think any football fan with, you know, half a brain will, will, will look at that Burnley starting eleven and say, yes, that is enough to keep a club in the Premier League, uh, coupled with the manager as well. I think the problem is with us is we never seem to have any depth and we never seem to ever had any depth. I think that's the problem. Um, but that just goes back to the thing, like you say, about how the Premier League is now just all so much about money these days. I look at yourselves, obviously you came up uh, from the Championship a couple of seasons ago and spent £100 million straight away. And you've gone and spent well again this summer. Uh, to be honest, I, you think you spent well both summers. I don't know why you didn't really kick on last season like everyone expected you to. Uh, but you get clubs like Fulham who come up and, like you say, spend poorly. Sheffield United, now they've started spending money for some reason, they've started spending poorly. But it, it leaves clubs like us behind a little bit because we yeah. 
for whatever reason, don't want to spend too much money. Um, thankfully, uh, we are getting um, taken over. Hopefully, that will all change. But everyone knows a takeover can go one or two ways, really. So, well, that's a different debate. But, but yeah, I think for me, the starting eleven of um, Burnley Football Club is enough is enough to keep us in the Premier League, definitely. But we just we just need more depth, I think. Yeah, we we spoke last week to um, to a Wolves fan, and we, we chatted before before the game, and we kind of said there are a couple of teams outside the top six that may fall into it, but realistically, outside the top six, most teams, they have their their core, say, 11. They may have a couple of other players that do have quality, but yeah. it comes down to money again in terms of being able to add that extra quality amount to bring it off the bench. And I think that's what set teams sets teams apart and creates that bit of a gap. And we spoke about financial fair play, and it, and it tries to the idea of financial fair play is obviously to, to bridge the gap, but realistically, it's kind of it, it's kind of increased the gap, hasn't it? Really, and it makes things hard for teams like yourselves, probably like us as well, where we can't just go out and spend fifty million pounds on a player who's going to sit on our bench, which Man United mm. seem to be doing all the time. Man City have done it regularly as well. So, you know, it is, it is a tough one, isn't it? In terms of we've got that, we've got more money. Um, I suppose we've probably been able to get away with it a bit more the last couple of seasons because of being get, getting promoted and stuff like that. But having that money, but then it's been able to, I suppose with you guys more so, having that identity is two things. You can't really spend the money and have a player sit on the bench, but also it's been able to find a player to fit the system, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's a problem with Burnley. Um, Dice seem as much as I love him, uh, he seems incredibly stubborn. If someone doesn't fit the system, they don't come to Burnley Football Club or they do come to Burnley Football Club and they sit on the bench in Ben Gibson's case. But I don't think that were a case of not fitting the system. I just think that were a case of um, James Tarkovsky and Ben Mee are probably better than him. And, I, and I'd agree with that as well. Um, so then he ended up being a bit of a sour apple in the camp. And then he just, he just, you know, doesn't get a game and gets kicked out. Like now he's on loan at Norwich um, with, you know, uh, a view to buy. So, so yeah, I think not only does, so that that's like one hurdle for us, uh, if we want to buy a player, another hurdle, like you said, is, is money. Um, and it's not even so much as as how much a player costs these days. I like, don't get me wrong; that just seems to be going ridiculous. But it's wages as well. Like, you will you will not see a, a player at Burnley Football Club on on a hundred grand a week. I think I think um, Joe Hart was on fifty five, and I think that is the most recent like player that we brought in that's on that sort of money. Um, I believe Tarke and um, Ben Me and Chris Wood aren't too far away from that. Um, but I'm just guessing if I'm being honest. But um, but yeah, like you say, it all comes down to money. Um, when you've got clubs like yourselves coming up a couple of seasons ago, obviously a big club, and then you've got Leeds coming up as well the season after another big club. Um, the Premier League sort of like starting to go back into what it used to be, um, where they're sort of like, not the cream rises to the top, obviously, as a, a fan of a, a smaller uh, club, I'm kind of reluctant to use that phrase, but the bigger clubs do tend to be in the Premier League again now. Um, yeah. And with the bigger clubs comes the bigger fan bases, and with the bigger fan bases comes more money, and that comes with obviously more expenditure and stuff. And, and we do appear to be getting left behind, but fingers crossed. Like I said, we are getting taken over, and that can sort of like help us bridge that gap, like you say, a little bit. What about um, the Arsenal game then? So as you've said, it was your first win against Arsenal or away at Arsenal since yeah. 1974, whatever it was. I think in the Premier League era, um, you struggled against Arsenal as well. So, taking into consideration your record against Arsenal and also how you've started this season, how big of a win was that for you? Yeah, we're massive. 
it, it, it were mainly the confidence thing. Um, I go back to, like I said, like I said, last season and the season before when we were in Europe. Um, there was a, a lot of poor starts, as we mentioned, and then there was a lot of players that you could clearly see were playing with a lack of confidence, and they weren't. They were making mistakes. They were overthinking things or whatever it is that's going on psychologically in the player's head. But a win at the Emirates Stadium, the first win for Burnley Football Club in the Premier League era, the first ever win at the Emirates Stadium, because obviously it's not, it's not been here that long, that's going to do wonders for the player's confidence. It was good to see James Tarkovsky back, um, looking like he actually wanted to play for the club. And I don't mean that as a dig, but... Um, there's been a few rumours uh, of people suggesting that, you know, he's, he's down tools because he didn't get his move to Leicester and things like that. But when he puts in a performance like he did against Arsenal and against Everton, and you can clearly see the passion on his face when the ball goes in the net and he is clearly like buzzing for it. You, you can't deny that, you know, he's, he's putting 100% in. Um, and Ben Mee as well, it's good to keep a clean sheet. Uh, with him in the side um, and Nick Pope as well, he were on fire as well. And everyone knows how good of a goalkeeper Nick Pope is. And all we've spoken about it on on, on debate podcasts so that you guys older how good of a goalkeeper Nick Pope is. And in the middle, uh, I think that's where we won the game. To be fair, in the middle of the park, Josh Browner was absolutely fantastic. Him and Westwood absolutely bossed that Arsenal midfield. And for you know, for players that are supposedly ten times better than, than the likes of Westwood, um, obviously which you guys will know very well, and Josh Brownell, um, you know. It, it would it would brilliant to see him play like that, but yeah, I think it's massive in terms of confidence. It's not; it's just another three points at the end of the day, um, but it's the confidence that it's going to give the players. And going back to the season that we were in Europe and started really slowly in the league, um, that's what we that's what we lacked. We lacked a massive win until um, I think we beat Wolves early in the year and West Ham, and then that we kicked on from there. Uh, and I'm hoping now we can kick on from this Arsenal game. What about coming into the game tomorrow then? Um, do you see there being any changes from how you lined up against Arsenal? Um, no, to be honest. Um, I, I think, if anything, maybe Chris Wood might get taken out, but I'd be very, very, very surprised if that was the case, uh, simply because he's, he's just not scoring goals. Um, but I'm one of them that um, I always stick up for Chris Wood. Um, he is the best finisher of a ball that we have at Burnley Football Club for me and the best finisher of a ball we've had at Burnley Football Club since the Charlie Austin days. So I'd keep him in the squad and hope that the goals come because when the goals come, he will. There will snowball effect. He's, he's a very confident player. I've said it time and time again on our podcast. Um, I could probably guess at the lineup for you now. It's going to be Nick Pope in goal, Charlie Austin at left back, Ben Me and Targi in the middle, Matty Lawton at right back. On the right mid, um, it's probably going to be Robbie Brady. The only place where it might change is probably the right mid, depending on Goodmanson being fit again. But I'd expect Brady to be at right midfield because he's, he's come back from injury recently and played well in the middle. Ashley Westwood, Josh Brownhill, um, Dwight McNeil on the left and up front, Chris Wood and Jay Rodriguez. That's, in my opinion, our best starting eleven. They're all fit, they're all available. Um, so I presume it will be that tomorrow. In terms of your approach to the game, being away from home at Villa Park, how, how are you guys going to approach it coming up against us? Um, I presume it's just going to be um, similar way to what we did against Arsenal. Um, let you have the ball. Tell, say to you basically, if come and break us down, uh, you've got the ball. You do what you do best. Um, get Jack, Jack Grealish on the ball um, and, and try and break us down. My concern with that is um, at Villa Park last season, I thought you were just a better side. Um, and a draw was probably a little bit harsh, but I could see why it happened as a draw. Uh, for example, like I, I wouldn't. For example, if it was the other way around, I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be 
annoyed too much. Uh, I would have been like, yeah, we should have beaten, but you know, we blah blah blah, we we, we didn't win. Um, but at Turf Moor uh, on New Year's Day, Jack Grealish absolutely ran that show, uh, and that is my worry. Um, if he gets on the ball and plays as well as he did last season at Turf Moor. Um, I will be worried. But since then, we have signed Josh Brownhill. Um, and I'm not for one second he's going to say he's as good as Jack Grealish, but he is a defensive midfielder type of player. Um, and if we can um, basically tell Josh to mark uh, Jack out of the game, obviously it's <laughs> a lot easier than it sounds like a player with a quality of Jack Grealish. Um, and fingers crossed. But, um, but yeah, it's going to be a case of you have possession, you break us down if you can. Um, and then we will try and, uh, and win the game on set pieces like we did against Arsenal. I presume that'll be the, what it is anyway. Uh, it normally is when we, when we play away from home. Yeah, I think the, the kind of... Me and Ian said, said about it just before you came on. The the worry is um, games that, that we'd... Um, that as fans, I suppose, we'd kind of expect to, to get something against, you know, against a team below us in the league um, yeah. at home... This season we have, we haven't done that, you know. We, we've beaten the big teams that we've come up against. Um, we've lost once away from home, and that was the only game that we conceded away from home. You know, I know you guys beat Arsenal, but we've beaten Arsenal, uh, beaten uh, Liverpool, Leicester, so we've done quite well. But then the losses have come up against Brighton, Southampton, Leeds, West Ham. I know a couple of those teams are doing okay, but in some of those games. Um, I think we were kind of slightly naive and we started really poorly. I think that, that's going to be the key thing for us in terms of of starting um, poorly. Do you think that you've mentioned about keeping, allowing us to have the ball? Do you think that Sean Dolish is going to kind of think differently and say, okay, you know, Aston Villa, they've struggled at times when they've conceded early. Let's try and get into them early. Or is it something that, you know, Sean Dolish will, will say, you know, so, similar to how we may have said about Steve Bruce, Sean Dodge will say, okay, this is how I'm going to play and I'm not going to change regardless of any kind of weaknesses. So not get into us early, just allow us to have the ball and just literally play your game plan. I would suspect so, yeah. Um, we might get into you early in the sense of uh, a few tackles and things like that, maybe stick one on Jack Grealish or whatever. Um, but as, as you know, uh, the narrative does tend to be that we're a dirty side that does that sort of thing. Um, but that the the uh, I think it's in terms of red cards over the last three years, we are the best behaved Premier League side uh, that there is. So it's uh, kind of a narrative that doesn't really exist. But um, if it were me, that's that's what I'd do. Um, I'd say, look, stick one on Jack Grealish, um, not necessarily injury, but let him know you're there. Um, but it's one of them with Jack Grealish, isn't it? You know that he's the most foul player in the Premier League um, uh, since he's been in the Premier League. So even that doesn't work because people do foul him and he still scores worldies and, uh, and and whatnot. I think it'd be a case of, yeah, frustrate them. If they want to have the ball and they want to attack us in the first 10, 15, 20 minutes, let them have it. Um, they'll get frustrated when they don't score, fingers crossed. Um, and then that's when we'll start to slowly start coming out. Um, making work of set pieces and things like that. Like I said, just exactly like we did against Arsenal. We scored from a set piece. The Arsenal fans was in at the time because obviously it was before London went into tier three. Um, and they were getting frustrated. There were boos coming from the crowds and things like that. And, and it just worked brilliantly in our favour. Um, so I would suspect it would be a case of, of doing something like that, yeah. Um, obviously, you've mentioned Jack Grealish. And I think in terms of Villa fans, opposition fans, I think most people, uh, me and Ian, would probably probably right now would say in terms of a danger man for us, it would have to be Jack Grealish because we know he can kind of 
you know, pull pull anything out out of the bag. Um, who would you kind of mark as the danger man for you guys coming into the game tomorrow? Well, it, like you say, it, it is definitely going to be Jack Grealish, isn't it? Like he is head and shoulders. You boys will know more than me, but I'm sure you'll probably agree. He's head and shoulders your best player. Um, he's just. I'll be honest with you. I'd like. When you were playing in the championship and Jack was playing in the championship, there's just a, not an arrogance about the championship, but it was a case of, yeah, that player might be good in the championship, but for them to, 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 for me to feel that they are as good as what other players are, they need to do it in the Premier League as well. Um, he came up from the championship and I was saying, no, nah, let him do it in the Premier League and then we'll see where he's at. And he's come up and he's, and he's, he's done it in the Premier League. He's been absolutely fantastic in the Premier League. It's a similar sort of vibe with Calvin Phillips as well at Leeds. But um, for me, Jack Grealish is head and shoulders with him as well. Um, but obviously you've got other players as well. Um, there's the new signing whose name skates me at the top of my head, Watkins. Um, he's, he's done well. He's scored a few goals. Uh, and John McGinn as well. Um, I think he's very, very underrated. Um I don't know if he's been playing much this season. I know he picked up an injury last season, didn't he? But I, th- I think he might. I think he is one of your better players. Um, but again, he's, he's I, normally I, a, a certainty for starting at the moment yeah. in the current eleven. But he hasn't, like you say, he hasn't. Uh, he hasn't been his normal John McGinn self. Um, he's coming into it a bit. He got the penalty against Wolves in the weekend, so hopefully he can go from strength to strength. And he's got his new five-year contract, so hopefully that will give him a, a kick up the arse as well. Yeah, well, I, I really rate John McGinn. I think he's a brilliant player. I think he's, um, like, like I said, he's, he's one of your better players. But um, but yeah, it's going to be them for as well. And I'm interested to see how Matty Cash gets on as well. I don't know if he's been starting, but um, apparently um, we were after him in the summer. We are after Watkins as well. Um, but again, going back to what you made earlier about the point about Cash, um, not, not Cash is in Matty Cash, Cash is in money. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that couldn't have gone any worse, could it? Um, it it's one of them. It's, if Burnley and Villa are both interested... And, well, even if they could offer the same money, obviously Villa are a bigger club, so players would probably more likely want to go to a bigger club uh, if they were that way inclined. But if a certain club can offer more money and play at a bigger stadium in front of more fans when they're there and, and play for a club with a bit more history, then, then yeah, they're probably going to choose that, aren't they? But it's another one uh, players are interested in, but then uh, we'll just price out of it. So it'll be interesting to see how them two get on, but hopefully we can keep them quiet. Or Matt Cash. Yeah, he's um, he's suspended. He's picked up. He picked oh, up his fifth, yeah, picked up his fifth yellow card um, against Wolves. So it's likely that um, El Mahamedi will come in for him. We've got Freddie Gilbert as well, but he's he's kind of he's been a bit out of the picture, hasn't he? Really, this season, Ian. So yeah. um, so I think Elma Elmo will come in. Um, in terms in terms of a danger man for 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 Burnley that that we've got to kind of be worried about who would you kind of be saying that, that your best player is likely to be uh, best player it's probably going to be Nick Pope to be honest with you mate or, or someone in the middle of the park um, in terms of danger men normally I'd choose somebody like Chris Wood um, but he's not been scoring goals as I mentioned um, he's, he's, um, he's our leading goal scorer of the last three, three four seasons he scores 14 goals, weirdly, every single season, um, which, you know, in the Premier League, that's a good return, that 14 goals a season. That's a really good return. But this season, uh, he's just not been firing in all cylinders. And to be honest, he's been missing a few sitters as well. So, fingers crossed, um, Chris Wood can bag a goal and it can sort of snowball from there. But Josh Brownell, um, he's been absolutely fantastic since signing from Bristol City. Um, like I said, it might be a case of, excuse me, getting Josh to try and man-mark Grealish out of the game. Like I said, I know it's going to be a difficult task. So just to give that responsibility to one player might be something that Dyche might be a bit reluctant to do. But um, I think similar to the Arsenal game, I think 
the battle will be won in the middle of the park. And like I said, just going back to that game on New Year's where you beat us at the turf, it was won in the middle of the park. You boys won the battle in the middle of the park, and that's why you enjoyed so much possession and, and so much territory. Um, so I'm, I'm very interested to see the Jack Grealish against Josh Brownell battle. Um, hopefully Chris Wood can start firing. But in terms of our sort of like our Jack Grealish, um, it's, it's got to be Dwight McNeil on the left, fingers crossed. Yeah. Um, he can start playing well again because he's, he's he's had a bit of a quiet season as well. But against Arsenal, um, it, it was sort of back to his best. Um, he tends to be a different sort of player these days with Dwight McNeil. Like when he broke into the side, it was a case of scoring goals and getting assists like week in, week out. Where now it's just more a case of starting moves. Um, he'll uh, we'll break the play up normally through Josh Brown or, or, or Tarky or whatever. And then the ball gets over to Dwight McNeil and then he will dribble past a, a midfield, for example, and then we're on the front foot, obviously running at your defence. So our play tends to come through Dwight because he's pretty much uh, the only forward-thinking player uh, in the side, pretty much. Um, so, yeah, I'll probably go um, leaning on Dwight McNeil, fingers crossed he can start playing well again. Um, just before you go, uh, give us a prediction for the game. Uh, I'm, I'm reluctant to keep sitting on the fence because uh, I've done it a lot on recent podcasts, uh, but I'm going to do it again. It's, it depends which Villa turn up. Um, like you say, you've had some very inconsistent results. Um, losing on to Brighton, I think I saw uh, when I was looking recently. Um, you, you lost against Leeds. I mean, Leeds have done all right, to be fair, this season. You know, I know they've come from the Championship, but everybody scores against Leeds or it seems to score against Leeds uh, for whatever reason that game you didn't. Uh, but then you've had some brilliant results as well. Like, like you say, beating Liverpool, beating Arsenal. Um, so I think it depends which Villa turn up. If if the good Villa turn up, um, then we could be in for a long afternoon. Um, if the poor Villa turn up, then we could do what we did against Arsenal. But I, I, I will be very, very, very surprised if we keep a clean sheet against you boys. Um, so I'm going to go for 1-1 because... I think we're starting to get back to Burnley. I think if we played you five, six games ago, you would have an absolute field day against us. But we are starting to get back to our Burnley look. We're starting to look solid again. Um, obviously, fast forward to this time tomorrow now, we've just got beat 4-0. But, um, but no, we are starting to look solid again. So, fingers crossed, we can limit you to one goal. But like I said, I'd be very surprised if we can, if we can shut you boys out with the quality that you've got going forward. So, I'm going to say 1-1. Yeah, I think we said, didn't we, Ian? We, we were talking before and just about the game, and it was we, we we were kind of on the fence in terms of it. Really does depend what kind of Villa turns up. And in, in all fairness, um, I think the Leeds game is probably the only game that we really have been, you know, below par. In all fairness, we had a good first half. Second half, we had a couple of. I think we had one clear off the line. Um, Grealish had a chance um, where, where he went past about five or six players, right, and the keeper made a good save. Yeah, um, and it's been fine margins in some of those games. I think in terms of, we mentioned XG, expected goals. We've outperformed everyone um, we've played against this season in terms of XG, apart from Leeds. Um, but we, we still have that, the lapses of concentration, which kind of affected us massively last season, where we, we kind of fell down on a lot, where we we're making silly mistakes in midfield and defence. And we did that against Brighton, in all fairness. So we've got to make sure that we're solid at the back and that we don't kind of start poorly um, tomorrow. And obviously, if we if we do play how we know we can play, um, then I'd expect us to get the win. But not just us, but it's, it's been one of those leagues this season, hasn't it, where you know there's not a lot of games that you can call, in all fairness. Yeah, it's, a, it's an unusual one. Like I said, though, five or six games ago, you could probably call every single one of our games as a defeat. Um, but yeah, thankfully, we are starting to look like Burnley of old again. 
Um, and it's one of them, like I say, it's not just a case of which Villa turn up as well, even though I do think that is a big factor of it. I, I think I, th- I think a massive thing is, is the first goal. I think if you get the first goal and you get it early on, um, then we could be in again for a long afternoon because we'll try and open up, um, obviously not open up like, like you know, the likes of Man City and Liverpool do because that's just not what Burnley do, but open up for Burnley, um, which basically means an extra two centimetres between the, the, the middle four and the back four. But the, when we do stuff like that, teams do tend to have a bit of joy against us. Whereas if we get the first goal, for example, if we get it in the 60th minute, for example, then it'll be a case of right, backs against the wall, you break us down, let's see what you can do. But it's one of them. It, I do think it is a big case of which Villa turns up. Um, and what the, the three main things are which Villa turns up, the battle in the middle, and um, the first goal for me. I think they're three very important factors for tomorrow. I, I, I definitely agree with that that centre midfield battle. Uh, and like you say, you, you play the two with Westwood and Brownhill and we traditionally play the three. So if we can sort of move the ball quickly through the midfield, then we might be able to create opportunities. And then the second one is, is the set pieces. And if uh, we're playing this sort of half zonal, half man marking at the moment, where we put sort of our three smaller midfielders on the edge of the box, man marking, traditionally the centre-halves of the opposition. And then we have sort of Mings and Konza uh, and either Target or um, Cash or whoever plays right back tomorrow sort of floating to try and win the header. But sometimes, like we saw against Southampton, um, it just doesn't work because the, the centre-back from sort of the opposition gets the run and then it's hard to get up to them to sort of put them off or even match their jump because they've got the run on you. Um, so it will be interesting to see what we do off set-pieces tomorrow. I hope we can have a good start, but like you say, yeah, it does really depend what which Villa turns up, especially at home. Yeah, well, that's interesting because that's where we're actually quite strong, isn't it? Set pieces. Uh, we got the goal against Arsenal uh, through a set piece. Admittedly, it was an own goal, uh, but an absolute whip uh, from Westwood, and that's what he's that's what he's good at. Is I don't know if he were good at that when he were at you uh, at Villa, um, but um, he just puts that whip in. He just puts it in that area where defenders or, in Arsenal's case, strikers can't deal with it. A keeper can't come and collect it. Um, and it just ends up going into the back of the net. Um, so it's one of them fingers crossed. Um, like you say, uh, you have one of these issues where it doesn't work uh, for you guys uh, and we can carry on being quite strong uh, with set pieces. <laughs> yeah, but uh, nice one. We'll, we'll speak to you tomorrow at some point and um, we'll see what happens. But fingers crossed for a for a good good game. Yeah, fingers crossed, mate. I'm, I'm working, unfortunately. Um, I'm oh, going to no, charge the really iPad up and... Um, and try and uh, try and watch it. I say working. I'm literally beside where I'm sat now. I'm, I'm one of the, the the lucky ones who gets to work from home. Um, but um, I'd rather be in the front room, obviously watching it on telly and, and doing a watch along. I can't do my watch along now, which is a, a bit of a shitter. Um, but yeah, I'm going to charge the iPad up, stick it here, and hopefully, hopefully, yeah, we'll see a good game. Yeah, definitely. Nice one. <laughs> well, fact, uh, All the massive thanks for coming on. Coming on yeah, thank you. I'd, I'd have got you boys on one of mine as well, but with a quick turnaround and, and doing 50 hours this week at work and stuff, I've not had time, but I'm sure I'll get you on uh, when we play at the turf. Yeah, definitely. No, All right, cheers, lads. Thanks for that. I appreciate it. Later. Take it easy, mate. There we go. Um, Joe from the Turf Cast podcast. If you want to check them out, they're on Twitter. Uh, I think they might be on Instagram as well. They're on YouTube as well, uh, available on all the usual stuff. Um, they do watch-alongs, which are quite interesting to watch, even if you don't support Burnley, which I imagine most people listening do not. Um, just before we move on, Ian, uh, give us a prediction for the Burnley game. I'm going to say uh, 2-1 to Villa. Um, quite a tricky game. 
Um, I think Burnley will score off a set piece, but I'm hoping we can score first and sort of that brings Burnley out of their defensive sort of unit and then we can get in behind them to get the second goal and um, Burnley score a late consolation goal from a, a set piece. But yeah, it's going it's to be a tough, it's going to be a really tough game. Um, like Joe was saying, they are looking like the old Burnley, um, that resolute defensive unit and everybody working 100% for each other as a team. I think it's been critical for them to get sort of Tarkovsky back in with Ben Mee in that centre-back position in and then like he says, Nick Pope is a great keeper. Probably, I'd, I'd put him as England's best goalkeeper at the, at the moment. Um, so it's always going to be a tough um, match to score past him. Um, but yeah, hopefully we can just get an early goal, get the confidence flowing at Villa Park and play how we know we can play. But it'd be interesting to see who is in that starting eleven because there's got to be some changes because of the suspensions. And is Barkley going to be back or isn't he? So, yeah, it's going to be an interesting one, but hopefully we can come out on top and uh, put this home form back into a positive sort of standing point. Yeah, I think that that's the key thing tomorrow, isn't it? Um, how we're going to line up. Um, obviously, off the back of the Wolves game, we mentioned uh, Matty Cash is suspended. He's picked up five yellow cards this season now. Um, so he'll miss the game. I think the most likely... Um, uh, player going to come in is, is El Mahamadi. Um, I suppose Gilbert is an option, but I think the fact that Gilbert has made the, made the match day squad once this season, um, and also I think it, if, if rumours are believed to be true, it seemed like that we were trying to get rid of him in the summer. I don't know whether that's just because you know having three right backs, he's the one with some sell on value, as opposed to El, El Mahamadi isn't. Um, so, do you think Elmo is going to be the one to start? Yeah, I, I can't see past Smith not playing Elmo tomorrow. I know a lot of people have been calling for uh, Freddie to start at right back, but he played he played for the under-23s, didn't he, um, on, was it Sunday or Monday? Um, yeah, yeah, and, uh, yeah, I think, yeah. I, I, I just can't see it myself. I think um, Smith will go with El Mohamedi and, and Gilbert will be on the bench as a backup. Um, and then I think he'll bring Nakamura in for Douglas Louise to play that holding role. Um, but it'd be interesting to see if Barkley is fit, what he does with him, or if he's sort of going to save him for the Albion game uh, and make sure he's properly 100% right. Because um, the last thing we want is Barkley to come back and pick up another silly knock or strain on that sort of hamstring um, before he gets going again, because he is a big miss when we don't have him. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a tough one. Um I, I, I put a poll on, um, still going to be fair, put a poll on Twitter um, saying who do we think is going to start in midfield to replace Louise, Nakamba, Barkley, Harahan. Uh, Nakamba's got 45% of the vote, uh, Barkley 34%, Harahan 21%. And I think look, looking at it last week when um, it was a case of who replaces Barkley, I think most Villa fans, myself included, um Said that Ramsey was the uh, the more like for like for for Barkley, just because he's got that a bit more progressive movement in the final third. Um, and I think I think he I think he showed. Do you think he he was the right decision coming in against Wolves um, for Barkley? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we were all saying 
like you say, the like for likeness with Ramsey's natural play and Barkley, it's um, very similar. And it's probably Barkley is probably a player that Ramsey looks to um, to sort of emulate going forward as he develops as a football player at Aston Villa. Um, but yeah, I think he had. Smith said he had a steady game, didn't he? He didn't do anything glamorous and um, he got caught on the ball quite a few times in the first half. But that's just getting yourself up to match speed, isn't it? And the pace of the Premier League, especially when you're playing up against a midfielder like Jamatinho at Wolves. Um, you're not often going to outdo a player like that, especially at such a young age. Well, he's Ramsey 19. So, yeah, it would have been a nice um, game for him. And it would be a confidence builder because he played the majority of the game and he's also been on a winning team in his first competitive start. So, hopefully... I'd like to see him in there again tomorrow and hopefully he can grow and grow and grow. Yeah, um, I think um, Trezeguet is also missing a hamstring injury that I think he picked up in in, in training or at least uh, the back end of the West Ham game. Um, I think Dean Smith said he's going to be missing. So would you be inclined to, to continue with Traore on the right or would you want to see someone else come in, possibly El Ghazi? I'd be happy tomorrow with El Ghazi, if I'm honest. And I think his match-winning penalty will just get him that sort of... He'll just pick Traore for the starting position. Obviously, Traore is still new to the club, still growing like the like. We've just got to be patient with these sort of players. We, we yeah. know how much it can... Sort of, they can develop if you look at the likes of Louise and Trezeguet himself um, this season. They've been totally different players to what they were at the beginning and sort of for, for long periods last season. Um, he showed brilliant touches, didn't he, in, in the Wolves game? It's just his connections with the other players and, and getting his touch right because there was a, f a few times where he got the ball um, and it was like ballooning off him or it wasn't sticking. Uh, and that's the biggest thing in the Premier League. When you do get possession, you need it to stick. So if you lose it quickly again, it just gives the opposition that sort of momentum to come at you again, doesn't it? Um, yeah. And with any, with any sort of um, wingers in in a team in the Premier League, they have to work hard. They have to be a workaholic. And like either side, you've got to help your fullbacks out. And that's going to be key tomorrow because Burnley play with that traditional 4-4-2. They're going to try and look, I imagine, when they do get spells on the ball, to deliver that ball in as quickly as possible from the likes of Brady and, and McNeil um, to those two big, strong centre-forwards in Jay Rodriguez and Chris Wood, if that's who they start. Um, and it's going to be the same offset pieces, but... The set pieces are the time where we can counter-attack and with the pace that we've got in the team yeah. and the likes of Jack Grealish, who are natural ball carriers uh, and glide pass players. And hopefully that can sort of um, help us along the way as well. But yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a key matchup tomorrow. But I, I definitely think El Ghazi will get the nod, if I'm honest. It's an interesting one, I think... In you bang on with what you say about Traore. I think it's you know if if last season is something to go off in terms of Trezeguet and uh, Douglas Louise, who who arguably the pair of them were, were two of our better players, um, or possibly even two of our best players. Um, post restart, Trezeguet got some important goals: two against Palace, one against Arsenal. So, you know, his goal's got six points. You look at Douglas Deweese, who was, I think, probably our best player in each of the games and out, certainly outperformed Jack Grealish post-lockdown. And those were players who who struggled before lockdown. So I think certainly kind of is, is an example or two examples to show we need to give these players time 
Traore shows he's has shown he's got that natural ability. He just needs to add that. I suppose it's that bit of um, you know, getting up to speed with things, that bit of a know-how. It's a different country, different league, different manager, different club. So there's a lot of things to get used to. Yeah, definitely. It's just that it's that match readiness, isn't it? And being savvy on the pitch and, and knowing when to try things and, and knowing when to play safe and, and, and make a, a good positive decision that helps you keep possession of the ball and doesn't put you in danger of sort of losing it in your sort of last third to give the opposition um, any fuel to uh, go and attack you. But yeah, he'll he'll come on and he'll develop. He's got all of the key sort of technical abilities to be a really good player. So hopefully he can get a uh, a goal again soon and um, sort of drive his confidence forward and um, get his, get himself starting again. Yeah, I think it'd be good to to kind of if you if you start, I suppose if we start integrating El Ghazi a bit more, um, then there's then I think giving him game time, trying to get a bit more out of him. I think should then, uh, if he does go back to the bench, I suppose it's, it gives us a bit of a better option. Because um, I think so far this season, when I've looked at him in terms of a sub, um, I suppose you still look at him as a bit of a weak link. And in terms of probably thinking that him coming on, he's not going to do do a lot because he hasn't done a lot when he's come off the bench. So I think giving him those minutes will make him a bit more match ready when he can come on, you know, yeah. make a bit more of an impression. Without a doubt. If, if you look like you looked at the bench against Wolves and it's not the strongest. And we, we talked about it, didn't we, with Joe early on about Burnley and being able to develop the whole squad and not just your starting eleven. Um, and it's not helped us at the moment with Keenan Davis as well, being an, another attack option that's struggling with injuries and, and seems to be the, the, the case for large periods of a season with Keenan Davis. And it's one of those, isn't it, when you're looking to bring something off the bench to try and turn a game for you or if you're chasing a goal or if you need some sort of spark, somebody to hold it up, a uh, big physical presence. And we just haven't got it at the moment. Um, and so that's going to be interesting in January to see what we do bring in in, in terms of squad depth and, and the quality there to so you can look to that bench and really have some confidence that you think, well, we've got a few match turners on that bench that can help us if we're in a sort of sticky position. Yeah, definitely. I think that's important just to add that bit of, bit of um, depth because I think we, I suppose we've shown you know we've we, missing Barclay I, I know we got the win against Wolves but um, certainly the, the Brighton game you know he only lasted a couple of minutes and in the West Ham game we, we kind of missed his quality um, I think I, part of me feels like we're going to really turn over Burnley and get a big win but part of me feels like that that we're gonna we're gonna slip into to old habits again. Um, I'm, I'm gonna go with, with with what I'm thinking. I'm gonna go with. I, I think we're gonna win four nil. Um, Ollie Watkins masterclass again. Um, fingers crossed. I think obviously after the after the win against Wolves, it'd be great to kind of get another win, take that momentum going on, and it really would push us up towards the top of the table. And it's not just that for me. I'm, I'm st- I am still, and I think a lot of people are still thinking in terms of staying in the league and. and not just that. I think if we kind of, you know, pretty much confirm our Premier League status by, you know, February, March or something, then that would be massive. And and I've always said if we can get to to twenty plus points by the end of the year, um, then that would be brilliant. Obviously, getting three points tomorrow night against Burnley takes us to twenty one points. Um, then obviously, you know, whatever we pick up after that, and there are some some winnable games, then that would be massive because I think we're on twenty four points. Um, 
uh, with, with I think about eight games to go, um, probably 24 points with about four games to go in all fairness. Um, yeah, yeah, they're all there about towards the end of the season. So to, to, so to have 24 points at this stage would be massive. Um, I just, I just think for a lot of us, I, I know people are not necessarily getting carried away, but the confidence kind of grows with the fans and the, and, and the players and the club in thinking that we can finish high in the league, push for Europe, all that kind of stuff. But I think for me, I'd just like to avoid having the stresses at the end of the season, stressing that we might go down. Um, I think that's a key thing for me. So tomorrow we're going to turn it on, 4-0 win, and we're going to be laughing, laughing our way to to securing um, our status by by mid-Feb. That is, that is the big thing, isn't it? It's that sort of cautious optimism that is is around at the moment we know we're far from the finished article and we've still got a lot of quality to add to get ourselves back um sort of challenging towards the top six of the league um consistently anyway because we, we've shown that we can do it um in matches um but it's just doing it consistently and that's why tomorrow is really important isn't it just getting back to back wins sort of helping that momentum but also if you look at it Burnley are on what nine points we're on 18 we win tomorrow and you, you're sort of looking down at that bottom four or five clubs and you're well away from it and like you say we're not going to have that stress going in we're going to be at Christmas and yeah. we're going to be sitting pretty and that should then hopefully help transpire to the players that they could go on and do something special this season but it is like you say you've just got we've just got to be consistent and we've got to make sure we're switched on tomorrow we can't go into the game thinking we're going to win two three nil four nil because it, it doesn't happen we, we you rarely see it in the premier league where you look on paper and you think well we've got a chance you just look at man city last night against albion what was it 77 percent possession but the only thing that counts was there was one goal in one net and one goal at the other end and it was a 1-1 yeah. draw um so we've just got to start bright tomorrow. Nothing sloppy from the beginning. He's really switched on from the first whistle. Make sure everybody's pulling the weight. 100% effort, maximum um, sort of effort. And then sort of just to pray that our quality is enough to get us over the line. And um, hopefully it'd be nice, like you say, if it could be a big win and we're not sitting there in the 90th minute biting all our nails and sort of shaking. Um like a geriatric, but yeah, it'd be it'd be, a, it'd be so good to get that win tomorrow, get up to 21 points over that sort of halfway mark to the 40 points, that safety net. Um, yeah, it'd be brilliant. Um, moving on then, um, uh, as we said at the start, this is a bit of a, a preview and uh, post-match full 90 podcast because we, we haven't been on for, for about a week now. Um, obviously, Aston Villa got a, a win over Wolves at the weekend. So it finished Wolves nil, Aston Villa won. Massive win for us in terms of uh, whether it is or is not a derby. It's certainly a rivalry. Um, two different cities, so probably not a local derby, but a bit of a rivalry. And I think for me and Ian, um, both live in D- Dudley area, and there's a lot of a lot of Wolves fans near to where we live and a lot of friends who are Wolves fans. So it's been quite good for us. Um, one thing that stood out for, from for, certainly for me, and I think a lot of, a lot of fans from the, from the Wolves game was the fact that Mike Dean was very card happy. Um, I've watched a lot of football over the weekend. Um, I watched the, the Spurs Palace game and I felt that pretty much every game that I've seen, since the Villa game, I've seen worse tackles in the game, but less yellow cards. Um, 
we will kind of go through those cards, but just in a nutshell, do you think that Mike Dean ruined the game effectively? Uh, yeah, mate, without a shadow of the doubt. That's, it's Mike Dean all over, isn't it? The show has to be about him. And um, if you look at the end of the game, I think a few of the pundits pulled it up that it was his 3,000th um, card that he'd handed out. Um, and he just loves it, doesn't he? He loves being centre of attention. He doesn't even give players a chance to make a challenge. And at the end of the day, football is a contact sport. And I know with UEFA and FIFA now, it's getting less and less minimalistic in terms of your challenges. And it is becoming a bit like netball or basketball where you can't really touch the opponent because if you touch them, even though you've won the ball, you're giving away a free kick. But, yeah, he just broke up the play so much. There was no rhythm to the game because it was just constant foul after foul after foul, card after card, and just slowing the game down. No, neither team could get any rhythm about him. It was just destroyed the whole sort of entertainment factor, especially at the moment when we can't get to the grounds. It would have been lovely to have been at the Molyneux celebrating the last-minute penalty winner by El Ghazi, wouldn't it, in that steep ball lower. Um, but unfortunately, we can't be there. And then sort of watching it on TV, you're looking for that entertainment factor and, and Mike Dean just destroys it. And, it, and he's, he's always been the same. It's always been about him. And I, like you said, I watched, because we had that early kickoff on Saturday, I watched a lot of football over the weekend, later through the afternoon on Saturday and then into Sunday. And every game, there was worse challenges by far, but the referees and, and Stuart Atwell, I'll bring him up on this because Stuart Atwell was brilliant in his game and he just let play flow. If there was a challenge, he'd have a word and he'd give them a warning like the traditional thing was to do. One, two warnings and then your third one, that was your third strike and you got your yellow card. Whereas Mike Dean, he's, he's just no, there's no chance to make a challenge because he's straight there with his back pocket getting things cards out. But like you say, there was matches over the weekend with worse challenges that weren't being brought up for yellow cards. And what was what did our game finish with? Was it 11 cards in total with the two reds? Yeah, 11 cards. So there was um, seven cards for Aston Villa. I think that I think if you get six, you get a fine. So, so we've been fined. Um, for the, It's one of them, though, isn't it? You look at 11 cards and us getting fined. And obviously the idea... Um, behind being fined for for at least six cards is the is you fail to control your players, but realistically, uh, you know there was no Mike Dean failed to control his hand going into his pocket. Um, so just the first half um, yellow cards to Louise Cash and McGinn for Villa, Dharma Ray for Wolves. Um, second half uh, yellow cards for uh, Target Conza, Louise and Grealish for Villa. Dendonka, Martinio, um, and Martinio, second yellow for Wolves. Um, so just kind of go through them because I've, I've looked back at it so many times to try and work out how many of them were actually yellow cards. So so 14th minute, Douglas Louise, um, it's a trip on, I think it's Fabio Silva around the halfway line. Um, what are your thoughts on that one? Would you say that one is a yellow card or do you think Mike Dean... Is just he's just completely lost the plot. For me, it's it's a difficult one because you, you have to. I suppose the directive for the officials at the moment is to look at what context the play is and what stage the play is at. And at that stage, Wolves were honestly they were breaking, weren't they? At us with speed, 
Um, but if you if you look at the actual challenge, he's hardly made contact with him. And yeah. sort of Fabio's. I know it's hard for an official because it's in real time and you don't get the privilege of watching it back in ultra slow motion. Um, but yeah, he's hardly touched him, and, and Fabio makes the most of it. Um, but for me, that's just you get him. We've got covering players. We had two covering centre halves and probably target their level with uh, Silver as well. And you just go up to him and say, look, it's your first challenge. That's your last one because of where you are on the pitch. The next one's going to be a card and a yellow card. But he just didn't even get that chance, did they? And I suppose you can sort of relate that one similarly. Uh, it was similar to um, the Cash one, I think, wasn't it? Because that was a yeah. sort of a breakaway again. And Cash had a little pullback around the half line area, I think, if I'm correct. If I'm yeah. not uh, making making things up. Um, yeah. And straight straight yellow card again, um, where I think Louise's second one was merited. Like you can't, yeah. it's just been clever at that stage of the game. What about eighty five yeah. minutes in? We're eighty four, eighty five minutes in, and and when, when you're on the booking, and, and you you just have to manage the situation, don't you? The game itself, and you have to be clever yeah. on the pitch because you know exactly who's refereeing. You know it's Mike Dean, and this is where the sort of the coaching staff and and. This is where Dean Smith should earn his money, really. It's just having that word with the, the players at half-time and going, look, we know who's refing today. He ain't going to give us a chance. Um, so just make sure you don't do anything silly at a vital stage of the game. And as it worked out, it didn't affect us because we went on uh, and played really well after we went down to 10 men and, and got ourselves in the position to win the game. But it could have yeah. gone completely the opposite way and it could have been one of those moments where we think, well, we've done so well uh, against Wolves defensively. They haven't They've had probably two efforts where they've looked like scoring the one off the post and the Denton Cavoli where Martinez makes a really good save. But apart from that, they haven't really opened opened us up like they, they could be capable of. Um, and then you suddenly think in five minutes left, we put ourselves in a position now where it's going to be full, sort of everybody back defending 11 behind the ball. But obviously that's not the Dean Smith way and he likes to keep the players at the ball, uh, up the pitch and um, we won the penalty and it, it worked out in our favour. But yeah, on a different day, it could have gone against us with that second bookable offence for uh, Louise. Yeah, I think you're right about this. the so you, the Louise one was, I suppose, halfway line uh, on the left-hand side um, between, between the middle and I think it was actually around the edge of the centre circle um, and the, the Matty Cash yellow card was on the other side. I think with the Louise one, th there isn't a lot of contact. I think if a player is trying to break away and they 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 knock a player, there's a bit of contact. When You know what it's like, you're running and, and you will go down. Unsure about that one. I do think the Matty Cash one, there was a bit more contact and he was on the break. So I do think that is one of the, I think I noted three, warranted yellow cards what do you think that that one was warranted for my cash or yeah it was definitely more cynical than louise's first um challenge i think there was more definitely more contact with with the player um and you can probably say like they were breaking away at the time um but yeah again it's it's a derby game isn't it and and you see it's just the inconsistency for me because you see some refs they come in they manage a derby really well they don't brandish a yellow card really early because they know unless it's a really cynical really bad challenge two footed or whatever they don't get their cards out they know there's going to be challenges and and it wasn't even like a traditional derby was it there wasn't any sort of heated moments really in the game um but yeah, you, you can probably say, yeah, okay, Matty Cash deserved his yellow card. Um, and it's just frustrating that it's his fifth of the season and he now misses the game tomorrow night. Um, but there was 
there was just others, weren't there? All over the pitch. You look at sort of the John McGinn one. Um, the, the only one I thought was warranted was probably the Grealish yellow card. Um, cynical yeah. sort of came in from behind. Did take a bit of the ball, but you can't you can't challenge like that in the modern day game. Uh, and Louise's second one, um, yeah. I thought. We don't know what went on with concert with the the arguing, or if it was just chat back, or he said something derogatory towards my dean. Then fair enough, like we we got we're not privy to be, yeah. being able to hear that, um, unless you've got really good speakers on your TV um, and no match day sound. But I can't I can't stand listening to it without the uh, the match day sound. So yeah, but yeah, it's just the uh, consistency all over the pitch. I think yeah, the one the one that's the one that surprised me the most is Cody came off the pitch without picking up a booking, but he made about three or four challenges in that game that were all given as fouls. And on the specification that Mike Dean was adding for yellow cards that day, he should have been booked at least <laughs> once, maybe twice. I mean, he had the, um, we had a similar position where Watkins broke away and he did play advantage at the time, but Cody had a big piece of Watkins' shirt and was pulling him back, cynical as anything. It was worse, definitely worse than Louise and worse than Cash's challenge, but because play was played on and eventually came to a halt, he didn't get his card out after that. And you're thinking, well, if he's booked Louise for for really nothing at all on the halfway line, he's barely touched the player, but it's just that the player winning it being clever at that stage. But he hasn't booked Cody for a, a blatant pullback on the shirt. He's tussling him down. Um, I, don't, I don't know where the, I don't know where you draw the line in terms of how you can sort of differentiate the two. Yeah, it was an odd one. I think like you look at uh, John McGinn picked up a yellow card. Third, that, that was that's one of the poorest ones for me. John McGinn. Um, I think it was probably his first first foul of the game. It wasn't even a bad one. It was one where he's gone for the ball. Um, he was a bit a bit late, as in only only marginally late. He just player was just too quick for him. Um, not a bad tackle, and it's a yellow card. Um, Traore was their first yellow card just before half time. Um, I'm not sure on I can't. I'm not sure on that one. I think I think you're right. I think the Grealish one. The Matinho one on Grealish, his first yellow card, certainly yellow card. Um, again, the Konza um, one, you know, I ain't got a clue what he said there, whether that's one target probably. And it just seems, you look at it, you think 11 cards in that game. That's not, an, it's not, you'd think, you'd look at that. Like if you didn't see the game, you'd look at it and think, what the hell happened there? The two, two red cards, which... I think you like you said the Louis second yellow yeah it's a yellow card he's led with his arm it's not aggressive but he's led with his arm so it's warranted a yellow card um it's a stupid thing to do while you're on a, on a yellow and the Matinho yellow card as well uh, it's a tough one I think it's one of them isn't it it probably was a foul but it's one of them where sometimes you see refs because a player's on a yellow card they make a foul that isn't a yellow card offense but they give them a yellow card. And I think yeah, that was the case exactly, with Matinho exactly one. what it was. Right, no way in a million years is that Matinho second one. He's, again, Ramsey's been clever. He's won the foul. There's little contact. But it is, look at where it is on the pitch. We're in our final third, sort of trying to break away on the counter-attack. It's at the stage of the game where we're probably trying to run the clock down as well. So Ramsey is probably thinking, get past Ma Ma Matinho and sort of play a ball down towards the corner flag and um, take up the time on the clock. But yeah, it's, it's definitely not a second bookable offence, is it? You look at it, there's nothing in the challenge. Um, I just don't know 
how Mike Dean sleeps at night when he's given sort of those as bookable offences. It's just it's just terrible, and it just destroys the, the the viewing point of the game and and the the natural flow of a football game. Yeah, it was that that yellow. It's in, it frustrates me when a player is on when a player's on a yellow card. It lit, they're literally one one tackle, one foul away from from getting sent off, but. Not every foul is going to be a yellow card, but it seems like nowadays, if you're on a yellow card, your next foul is a yellow card, regardless. And it's it's a bit of an odd one. Yeah. You just it, it ha- you know, a lot of the time, it has to be realistically, it's got to be a yellow card offence. And it seems like there's so many times when we've seen it. How many times have players kicked Jack Grealish up in the air three or four times, and 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 a lot of the time they've got away without any bookings. But there's so many times when they've got one booking. And eventually they've been booked the fourth time of kicking the absolute shit out of Jack Grealish. Um, And then the fifth challenge is the red. Yeah. And it's just, oh, come on. They just, it's, it's frustrating because like you say, you've you've said it a few times. It's that, it's that consistency about things. Um, You know, uh, that's, it's frustrating. That's Mike Dean though, isn't it? As we said, I think Stuart, well, I agree with you. He He had a good game. I was watching like, same as you, that ours was early kickoff, so I watched the majority of the other games after that. Um, obviously, a lot of games are on telly at the moment. Watched a lot of the games, and you're thinking, that's a worse tackle than John McGinn's, for example. And it, it kind of ruins the game. Not only does you lose the flow of the game, which I felt it completely got rid of ours, but you look at it and you think, Douglas Louise booked in the 14th minute. He's our, he's our defensive midfielder. That absolutely kills us in terms of he then yeah. cannot make, make, you know, he's got to be careful making tackles. He got sent off in the end. No arguments about his second yellow, but 14th minute. And that, he just thought, Jesus Christ. And, you know, after half an hour, we've got two of our centre mids booked. Two of them booked. Yeah, exactly. I think you if know, you look at Louise just... as well, he was clever in the, um, I think it was when Silver hit the post and Podence got the wrong side of Louise. And Louise just had to admit, there and then he just had to put his hands up and gone right he's gone the wrong side of me I can't commit to anything here because I know I'm going to be off if I do um, yeah. and then they went on Podence went on to flick it through to uh, Silver and he hit the post but yeah it's like you say you're a defensive midfielder at that stage of the game 14 minutes in he's pretty much especially in a game with Mike Dean refereeing he's on his last warning <laughs> and he, yeah. the next challenge he makes if he's a, if the fraction too yeah. late he's off well, it's 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 Mike Dean, and it's against Wolves. You know, it's a, it's it's a bit of a rivalry. Um, you know, you lose your, your your defensive midfielder has then lost a massive part of his game. Um, we've mentioned inconsistencies there in terms of refereeing. Um, not necessarily a kind of Mike Dean decision, but there was the the size the size handball in the first half. Uh, Jacob Ramsey gets it. Um, he, he's he's just he's inside the box, almost on the byline. Um, flashes the ball across the the edge of the six yard box. It's about it's about you know chest height. Um, and Sace has found found himself in a position where he's gone to head it, so he's moved himself towards it, and he has gone towards the ball with an elbow like that. I think it's more like a. It's more like a teapot, isn't it? He's gone like a teapot towards it. Yeah. And and with without a doubt, there is contact with his with his elbow. It's pretty much his elbow, isn't it? There is contact yeah, it's right, with it's his right along, it's right there, isn't it, on the elbow. Yeah. So with his elbow on the ball. And 
you know, in terms of the the direction, the ball, that kind of stuff, doesn't make a massive difference. It probably knocks it closer towards Ollie Watkins, but regardless, it is handball. And th they've tried to they've tried to clear this up this season. And there's been so many variations of the handball law over the years. And this season, um, obviously, they, there's there's kind of two things really. The one is where you're where you, you handle your arm, it's pretty much your arm, isn't it? Where your arm has got to be in a natural position and it's, it's kind of like you're within your silhouette of your body. So you, your arm, and I know it's hard when players are jumping and that kind of stuff. Um, and I think that that still is a bit of a, that's something that needs sorting. But in terms of if you're standing, your arms need to be along your side. So Sace, his arm as a teapot, He's not by his side. So therefore, it ticks the first box. It is out of the natural body position of being along, along the side. The second thing, which they've tried to clear up, is they're saying that handball is... is. I mean, we had Tyro Mings uh, penalised against Leicester last season away, just before the um, uh, the, the break, because uh, of lockdown, etc. Um, it, it literally it was a handball up here, wasn't it? Right on, right yeah. on the shoulder. Right on the shoulder, yeah. And and even before this this kind of this kind of rule change, if you like, um, in my in, you know in, in my mind, even before that, that that's 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 a shoulder. That's that's nowhere near handball ever in a million years. That's the shoulder. You know, it's part of that's human biology. And and then what they're saying now is that the, the change is that below below your um, your sleeve is handball. Above your sleeve is not handball. And I kind of think even with the Tyro Tyro Mings one, you know, it's it, it doesn't even you don't even have to bring the sleeve into the equation. It's hit his shoulder; it's nowhere near it. But coming back to the Sace one, it is his elbow. How long, you know? And the difference the difference in shirts these days, you know, the manufacturers who make shirts, you know, people who play football who have played football know you wear a kappa top. It is totally different to a a Luke Roper top, for example, that we've had. Um, who did our kits last season? Obviously, we've had Kappa. Kappa. Last season, yeah, before it was Luke. You look at, like, the Nike, and they're all template kits, aren't they? Yeah. Uh, Adidas, Umbro. It's totally different. And you, you, you wear them. There's, there's tops when you wear them. Like, my T-shirt I've got now, my sleeves are, are quite long. That, it, it, it's just ridiculous that they they don't bring common sense in. It's kind of like, well, if it hits his sleeve, then it's it's not handball. But it's like, well, how long could it? You know, his sleeves might be long. It depends. If you are like a Dharma Traore, your sleeves are almost non-existent because you're built like yeah. a brick shit house. Like Rob Holding said, he's built like a brick shit house, so his sleeves are almost non-existent. You know, like yeah, Jack exactly. Grealish, Jack Grealish broad shoulders. Yeah, your natural shirt naturally just rides up doesn't it yeah. and if you look at a lot, a lot of the players these days they all they all wear the under sort of um sort of tops don't they the yeah. under sort of, yeah. yeah and that's they, they're down to the wrists and then especially if you look at like concert he always wears one and it's it's light blue exactly the same color as our sleeve so where yeah. do you tell the difference where the sleeve sort of starts in that moment of that trying to capture it on that picture frame when it has hit him how do you tell if it yeah. is the sleeve or not, it's, that, it's that just is, a ridiculous law yeah. when it needs change. They're, they're trying to... The thing is with handball is that, that essentially it's... I mean, a lot of rules in football aren't black and white. 
Um, that's why we love football. You look at the offside and all that kind of stuff brings things into it. But they're trying to make it black and white in terms of that's handball, that's not handball. But again, it's kind of like, like we said, how long is the sleeve, all this kind of stuff. Is You know, when we talk about the stuff about your natural position of your arms, is it within the, the natural position of your arms, silhouette, all that kind of stuff. But again, it's kind of like, well, you know, you've also got to take things into consideration that when you're jumping, how many people can really jump without moving their arms away from their side? You've got to take those things into consideration. Use common sense. And I never use, they never use common sense. And it's frustrating. And that was a handball 100%. I think there was a, there was, there was one and it hit Connor Cody. Ironically, it actually hit Connor Cody's hand. I mean, how many, how, how often is, is a handball given for hitting someone in the hand? It's always the arm, isn't it? But that one hit Connor Cody's arm, uh, hand. It was by his side. But this Sace one, he, he's almost moved towards the ball with, with his, with his elbow. And it's, yeah. Because okay. I know he's, he's, tr- he's tried to get his head to it, but he's actually yeah. moved like that. And that's yeah. not a natural movement. And I'd ha- I'd hate to see it given against us, to be honest. But yeah. in, in directive that there is now with the handball law, it has to be given because it's below yeah. that sleeve line on his elbow. And it's not a natural position because he's moved like that. If you were moving to head a ball, you'd move like that from side yeah. to side. Or if and you then- were jumping, if he was jumping, fair enough, because you have to get that lift by pushing yeah, down, yeah. I think that's that, yeah. That that's that's but the one for me. I, you, you look at the consistency, and it's kind of like there's been so many. Like yeah, I think Eric Dyer against Newcastle, and they 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 boot the ball into the box. Dyer, Dyer it hits Dyer's hands because he's jumping. Not only is you you jumping, but you have players in front of you. What you're supposed to do? Jump up straight, and if a player is bigger than you, they're going to knock you over. You know, it doesn't take yeah. into you, you need you need your arms for protection and leverage. The biggest biggest thing about your arms when you jump is it's not about the actual jump. It's about the landing, isn't it? And you put your arms ready to sort of feel for your landing because you don't want to go up like a salmon and sort of break your neck on the way down because you you feel your way down, don't you? It's just natural sort of. But, yeah, it's it's so, so difficult. And I wouldn't want the job of sort of sitting there at Stockley Park and trying to – say what is and what isn't a penalty these days because I'm not entirely sure what is and isn't a penalty. Well, people have said, haven't they, Pete? I think, um, I'm trying to think who said it. Someone said last week that they'd, they'd played football for how many years? And it was, I think it was Kevin De Bruyne who played football for how many years? Um, and he's not even, you know, there was in the first however many years, 14 years of playing football, there was no rule changes and now there are. Um, and he doesn't know what the rules are. And they've got to use, they've got to start, instead of, instead of bringing in what they believe is a rule to make things black and white. They should just they should just be able to say, you know, using common sense. What we said about handball and jumping and all that kind of stuff. They need to be able to use common sense. But at the end of the day, that Sayis one was a handball, and it's frustrating because I, th- I think it's it's not probably not talked about as much because the fact that we won. So at the end of the day, we won, and it doesn't really matter that much. But uh, you know, uh, it, it's one of them. I think it's it's something that certainly could have. Could have made a difference. Um, obviously, we, we we kind of you know again another thing is we've mentioned it. You mentioned about uh, Martinez making a couple of saves that he made, which were key in us winning the game. Um, just going to look at a few things in terms of uh, a few stats from the game and and kind of how the game uh, unfolded. We're just going to go. It's a bit of a um, analysis um, from from the, the Wolves game. A uh, bit of a statistical breakdown. So, 
Wolves obviously been the home side um, in terms of possession. Uh, it was very tight, and I think this this kind of reflects certain areas where it was tight possession wise. Was time we, we we spoke to Alex Richards, um, who works for the Mirror, who's who's a Wolves fan. Spoke to him last week, and he said that Wolves change in their formation to go from a back five or a back three. However, you see, I suppose it's three into five to a four. Um, is their way, Nuno's way, in trying to take the front foot more in the game. Having three at the back is um, it's a bit more of a defensive formation, depending on how I suppose how you how your fullbacks or your wingers work. But for Wolves, a bit more defensive because they've always got three at the back, um, three very good defenders um, a lot of the time. Having three at the back and as well um, with their fullbacks coming and having a back five, obviously it's fairly solid. But what they're doing now with the the four. Alex was saying it, 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 it's their way of trying to move more on the front foot and then be able to take it to teams. And I suppose a big part of their game has been counter-attacking. Um, so they've had a bit more possession than us, but being the home team with back four, trying to be a bit more progressive, um, shows how kind of fairly even it was in terms of us having the ball. Um, 16 shots to two, and uh, 16 shots to 13 in favour of Wolves. Um, they had seven on target, we had two. Um, 77% pass success rate for Wolves, 76% pass success rate for Aston Villa. In all fairness, um, I think when you look at the way the game was, um, it's quite it's, it's a relatively good statistic for us in terms of our pass success rate because I think over the years, um, certainly last season in Premier League, our pass success rate was, was pretty poor in, in certain games. Wolves 18 dribbles to our nine. I think when you look at Wolves and you look at the likes of Traore, Neto, Pedence, um, as opposed to to us, realistically, you're looking at dribbles. Um, Jack Grealish is, is the one player this season in particular who's going to be dribbling the ball. So it's kind of, you can see why um, that they were heavily in, in, in stacked in that favour. Um, 22 aerials won by Wolves, 26 won by ourselves, 15 tackles by Wolves, 8 tackles by ourselves. Um, corners 5-8 to eight in Villa's favour. Um, I think it's key seeing the aerials won uh, statistic because this season we seem to have stepped up a bit more. Ezri Konza and Tyro Mings seem to be solid. And I, I think in all fairness, Ezri Konza and Tyro Mings were both excellent um, at the weekend against Wolves. That They made a very key interception at one point after um, after a good Martinez save um, in the second half. Um, moving on, just move on to the game. And how the teams lined up. So Wolves, as I said, that they moved to a back four. Um, they played this previously. They started with this one twice previously this, this season. Um, a one-one draw against Southampton. They also had four at the back uh, against Liverpool, which was their last game, and they <coughs> lost that one four nil. Um, just qu- quickly go for the team, as we know, it was um, Patricio in goal, Samedo right back, Cody Sace. Um, center arse with Mar- Marcel or Marcal, the left back. Um, you have Martino Dendonka just beyond Pedence, who was in the number 10 position. Neto on the left, Traor on the right with Fabio Silva making his first start in the league through the middle. Um, Aston Villa, as people will probably know, lined up with the usual to kind of a, a, a 4 3 3, a 4 1 2 3. The midfield is a bit quite progressive, um, but it was Martinez in goal, uh, back four, um, Cash right back, Konza Mings centre half, target left back. Louise behind Ramsey and McGinn, 
at times that that does kind of move to Louise and McGinn behind Ramsey, as it has been Louise and McGinn behind Barkley, uh, Greedish on the left, Traoré's on on the right, uh, and Watkins through the middle. And I think a lot of people probably would have agreed agreed with with, with us last week when when we did a preview on the Wolves game, uh, and we were saying that the key the key battle was going to be this area, which was our left hand side their right-hand side. So it's, you know, Matt Target and Jack Grealish up against Adama Traore and, and Nelson Semedo um, effectively. And I think a lot of people would have looked at that in terms of Target and Adama Traore. We saw that last season. Traore struggled. <clears throat> Sorry, Target struggled against Adama Traore with that pace and strength. A lot of fullbacks do. And then again... Nelson Semedo has been very up and down this season. He's come from Barcelona, I think thirty-eight million pounds. He's a he's an accomplished right back. hasn't really pulled up many trees this season. I think people would have then thought, you know, if Traore gets forward and goes at target, then that leaves Nelson Semedo exposed for Jack Grealish to run at. Um, and I think, in all fairness, Target did relatively well um, defensively. I think Adama Traore and Jack Grealish would, would, would probably be disappointed with their performances. They were below par. If we we just kind of look at. These guys, Jack Grealish and Darmatoro, so this left-hand side, their right-hand side in terms of this was probably where the key battle um, was before the game. And you're looking at Grealish against um, Darmatoro in terms of their output. Um, Grealish had, had, had four shots, none on target. Darmatoro had one shot, which was blocked. Um, Grealish attempted three dribbles. Uh, none of them were successful, um, which was disappointing for Jack. And I think they, they kind of dealt with him pretty well. Uh, Traoré had nine dribbles, seven were successful. Uh, Jack Grealish had 62 touches. Uh, Traoré had 49. Uh, Grealish, 74% pass accuracy against uh, Traoré, 69%. Uh, Grealish fouled twice. Traoré fouled three times. Uh, Grealish lost possession 18 times. And Traoré lost possession 19 times. And I think from that, realistically, all that kind of does in terms of show, showing that they were, they, were, they were a bit below par. Um, Traoré... We know that technically he's, he's, he's probably quite a bit off a lot of the Wolves players in all fairness, but physically he is a machine. Um, as I've said before, you know, he's built like a brick shit house. He's quick. He's tough to, to play against. I think those stats there show that in terms of his dribbling, it was pretty good, but elsewhere he, he kind of struggled. And if you look at the other two, so the guys who who were doing the job of, of, of marking those two in all fairness, Matt Target and Nelson Samedo, um, Target made five clearances. Samedo made nine. Both made one block each. Uh, Target made three interceptions. Nelson Samedo made none. I think that, that's quite key for Matt Target. And I think a lot of time we've, we've seen Matt Target sometimes be be flat-footed in defence and slow off his heels in terms of when he's coming out, um, either on the press or when he's coming out and he needs to try and intercept, that he's been a bit slow. And he did that well um, against Wolves. And I think that was vital for us in times when they were trying to break down there, that he stepped in at the right times. Uh, Target made two tackles. Samedo made four. Target was dribbled past three times. Samedo was dribbled past once. I think in all fairness, the one time that Samedo was dribbled past was when we won the penalty. Target lost possession 23 times. Uh, Samedo lost possession 11 times. I think in all fairness, Matt Target does like to to launch the ball um, down the channel. Probably why he lost the possession that many times. Um, dribbled past three times. Adama Traor would dribble past players quite often. So I think... You know that was going into the game the key battle, um, and I think I think in all fairness, 
that we did reasonably well uh, in dealing with Adama Traoré. And in all fairness, I think Wolves did reasonably well in dealing with Jack Grealish. I think they were they were probably they, they would be disappointed. They were quite compared to their standards. If you look overall at the kind of the, the key the key stats from the game. Um, most key passes in the game with was three, which was Jan Martinho and Jack Grealish both made three passes. That's Jack Grealish in a nutshell. In terms of he was he was below par, he was quiet, but he made three key passes, and and that is that is just him, and that's just what he shows. Uh, best pack passing accuracy was Douglas Louise, which was a hundred percent. I had to check this twice because you know, in all fairness, for a defensive midfielder, you expect their passing to be to be pretty good, but for a player that. Um, He's not necessarily a player who plays it easy. He does at times, but he does sometimes make risks and he is quite progressive. So 100% pass accuracy is certainly you know brilliant. Um, shots, um, four shots, uh, Daniel Pedence, Fabio Silva, Jack Grealish. Uh, Jack Grealish, um, I think, hit the target once. I had quite a few of them blocked. So disappointing in front of goal for Jack Grealish. Um, but I think they knew what to expect. Tackles. Matinho made six tackles uh, in midfield and he had a pretty decent game in the middle. And in terms of interceptions, you're looking at Matty Target and, and Roman Sace. Um, so those are the kind of standouts that's from the game. If you look at how the game how the game fared in terms of where 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 the game was played, um, Ian mentioned about the stats. So Wolves attacking play, they went mainly down the right, which they're going to with, with the Dharma Traore. Um Again, which which kind of reflects for both teams, it, it does show that although they were below par, Grealish and Adama Traore, the teams still they were the go-to guys. You know, Matinho keep makes Wolves tick. Neto had a fairly decent game and he's a very very good player, same as Pedence. But the ball was going to Adama Traore. They wanted him on the ball. They wanted him at Matt Target. And I think similar to to how we would have expected with Adama Traore coming forward allowing then potentially Grealish to get at Samedo. They probably thought the same. Grealish would get forward. Traore could then get get and target, target, target. Um, they did that. And then if you look at Aston Villa uh, play here, right, right to left, our, our, um, we're more down the left-hand side. Um, not on the touchline, um, just inside slightly. Um, and I think that, that that's probably, that was part of the game plan, I think, to allow target to be on the touchline, just to be able to, to, to kind of stop Traore coming around the outside of him. Um, but again, as, as both kind of heat maps show, in all fairness, that in terms of the cent, cent, where the centre forward would expect to be, or you'd want your centre forward to be, in and around the edge of the, the area. Um, I know it's hard these days because a good centre forward is, makes good movement and Ollie Watkins like to drift out wide and Fabio Silva would have liked to drift out wide as well. But I think that was key, key in terms of the low scoring because the strike, the, the heat map isn't showing in and around the 10 position or the strike number nine position isn't showing that you know a lot of a lot of play in that area a lot of touches in that area we move on you're looking at expected goals expected goals um obviously takes into consideration the chances that players have um based on the position that they are when they have the opportunity and also the the, the kind of the the play that they're in so in terms of whether it is a free kick a penalty or in open play so obviously in the box, the expected goals would be much higher. Obviously, it takes in consideration the defensive setup at the time, whether a goalkeeper is in goal, they may be on the floor injured on the edge of the 18-yard box, and you've got the Warner Seat yard box, the XG is gonna be much higher. But just looking at XG from the game, Wolves had an XG of 1.14, ours was 1.27. Wolves had an XG of 0. Uh, an XA, so expected assists of 0.91. 
but this, this obviously works in hand with XG in terms of a player or at least a, any player getting an assist for a side, as was 0.32. And obviously a big part of that coming down to is that the XG for El Garza's penalty was the highest XG in the game. And there was no assist from that because it is a penalty dead ball situation. Um, obviously graphic I'm showing here is from understat.com and it shows the opportunities um, on the pitch, the opportunities that we had on the pitch in terms of where the shots were the bigger circles or the biggest shapes are the biggest xg so for us there's a star which is the goal from the penalty spot and where el Ghazi. and for wolves the biggest xg is the circled chance which was leon leander dendonka's chance that he had we're going to look at the wolves chances because i think you know you'll agree in that in all fairness um you know, they had the better chances throughout the game. I suppose some of them were fairly speculative, but we certainly didn't, we didn't test Patricio um, at all in, in the game, in all fairness, did we? No, I mean, we had the one chance, didn't we? The uh, Ollie Watkins deflection. Um, yeah. and, and like that could go anywhere, really, couldn't it? Once it get, gets deflected. But yeah, that was our only major chance apart from sort of the, the penalty and... Um, when the ball came in the box for the potential handball from Sass. Um, but yeah, like you say, um, Wolves' major chances, that Dendonka one, which was a really good save off Martinez, and then the, the uh, Fabio Silva um, off the post. Um, and then you look at every other save that Martinez has had to make, you'd you'd expect your keeper to be making those saves. But it does, it yeah. does show good positioning from him and, and starting points. Um, Particularly on that one, it wasn't really a, a well, it was a chance, but it wasn't really a shot or anything like that. It was the cross um, that came in and he, he ran out to sort of the, around the 10 yard area outside of his goal to sort yeah. of come and claw it away from the uh, on rushing. I don't know if it was Neto or Podence that was, um, I think it was Podence because he um, sort of flicked away. Didn't yeah, he? Um, he just, yeah, he just came, came and got there, didn't he? I think that's that's important. That's a massive part of goalkeeping now, isn't it? I think. Saw Edison do it last night against um, against West Brom, just being able to, you know, positioning and making those decisions. But I know it's not. I know it's not. A, a, you know, obviously it doesn't matter because we've come away from the game with three points and we've got the only goal of the game. But just looking at those Wolves chances and it kind of highlights how good of it. I suppose I say how good of a game Martinez had. He did have a good game, make those saves. But as you say, you expect him to make the majority of those. So. All chances. So we've got this one here, which is Daniel Pedence, 37th minute. Um, he's, what, 30 yards from goal um, there or thereabouts. The XG on this one was 0.02. So so essentially from there, it's gonna it's got to be a worldie to beat the goalkeeper. Um, I mean, he, he worked he worked the space quite well to come from the, the kind of left-hand side just to get in and have the effort um, at goal. Um, it's the first notable effort at goal, to be fair. He's hit it. Uh, defensive shape is fairly good. I think, in all fairness, if he kind of played it to his right, they, they, they may have got a goal there. But he's hit it, he's hit it well. Uh, Martinez has got down um, to it, firm hand to, to get the ball away, and, it, and it's a good save. And then you look at again Wolves, another chance. Adama Traore has got it. He's come inside. This was one of the times where we, where we ran the ball. A good portion of the pitch is coming inside. Now he's got the ball. Um, just inside the box, and I think Douglas Lewis probably should be forward, uh, you know, five or ten yards. But he's, I think, the issue here is that it, the still makes it look worse than it is in terms of the, the defending from our midfielders. But 
realistically, Adama Traore has got forward there very, very quick. Um, you know, from 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 their half into our half, so it's hard to, for for those guys to kind of keep up with him. But obviously, he's got the ball, and and um, this is an opportunity for Dendonka, 40th minute. The XG on this one is 0.1, so it's a good opportunity because of of how the ball comes to him and he's inside the box. But Dendonka's here on the edge of the box, and, and what what makes the chance good for him is the fact that Adama Traoré then is able to knock the ball inside to you know you're looking at uh, 10 yards from goal and he's able then hang on Battery doesn't die. <laughs> um, there we go. So he's knocking the ball in, and and what it means, Dendonka's there coming in to the box. He's going to be 10, 10 yards. Well, he's going to be about about fourteen, fifteen yards from goal, and running onto the ball. Inside the box, it's a good opportunity. And Domitrova plays it across. Dendonka is able to run onto it. He's hit it, just as I said, 14, 15 yards from goal. And it's a decent hit, not as good as I think he liked. I think he actually, yeah, he's hit it. He's already hit it there on his left foot. It's straight at Martinez. It's a good reaction save because it's come at him quite quickly. And then not shown there, but it does, it, Martinez. Does make a good save. It's it's a strong save. Comes down to him, and then it's brilliant. From you look at them there, Mings and, and Konza, they are in good positions, um, and they get the ball rid there. And it is pretty good defending. To be fair, good reactions. That's what you want from your centre halves is to react in those situations where we've seen it so many times where where defenders have been so slow to react. You move on. You look at the ball chance again. This is one. This was this was their best chance. And Daniel Pedenz has moved forward um, through the midfield, and he's laid the ball into into uh, Fabio Silva and, and in all fairness Tyrone Mings I think I think his position was poor on this chance he was trying to get back and he was just flat-footed uh, Pedence has played the ball between the two centre-halves and and where Fabio Silva has got the ball in all fairness the there's 68th minute 0.09 um, xg so it's just shy of the the Orlando Don Dunker chance um, is one of the better ones that they had and the only area that he can hit he can score really is this this area here? If he is to hit the ball there towards a corner, and in all fairness, he does really well to get the shot in, get ahead of Conza, and it's the only place that he's beating Martinez, and he hit it, and he's hit the post. Martinez getting nowhere near that. Is it full stretch there? He's hit it, and he's hit the inside of the post. And luckily for us, it comes away, and that was a good chance for Fabio Silva. Um, and then you look at this one. This is this is this is Dendonka again, who's had a, you know, a reasonable, good game going forward. Neto's come down the left. He's done a bit of a Rabona there. He's already released the ball, crossing it in. And we see here Dendonka, seventeen off minute. This is this is I think their best chance. Um, XG of zero point three two, which is which is which is pretty good. Um, so Dendonka, if you're looking at the picture here, but if you're not. Dendonka's just coming into the he's just coming to the 18 yard box uh, about 16 yards from goal. 
that's quite centrally. Dendonga's uh, two or three yards inside the 18-yard box from the left-hand side. He's done a Rabona flick into the box. And there's a bit of space. Dendonka's just come inside. He's just circled. And that space, he's got, he's got you know, five, six yards in front of him to run onto the ball. And again, it's like the, the chance that Dendonka had in the first half. It makes the chance good and better because he's able to, as the ball comes in, run onto it. And he can run onto it. He can make a firm connection on the ball and give himself a good chance of scoring. And what happens is Dendonka runs onto it. And here he is just about to shoot. He's around the penalty spot. It comes to him. He's hit it well. And all he needs to do is hit it there. And, you know, it just it is a really good reaction save from Martez. He's hit it well. And Martez makes a really good save. It is right at him. Um, but, you know, he's got to be there to make that save. There's a lot, you know, there's a lot of goals that, that people score from that, especially coming onto a chance. You're coming into it, coming onto it on the volley. It's a really, really good save. It's, it's massive for us to have got those three points. Um, like we say, going going into the Burnley game, um, I think Martinez got man of the match. Probably deserved man of the match. Um, do you think is there anyone that, that stood out for you um, aside from Martinez in that game? Uh, I thought once again Matty Cash was um, excellent. Um, offered us a lot defensively and um, going forward. I thought um, we we had a lot of joy, especially in the first half. Um, like you said, um, Matty Target was sort of. And both centre-halves, really. Tyrone Mings did it a few times. And I know um, John, John McGinn was making a few good runs down their, their right channel. So our left side, that attacking side that Breedish plays on, um, in behind um, Semedo. And we were getting ourselves up the pitch quite nicely in the, the early stages of the first half. We didn't do it too well um, in the second half, but that might just be in terms of the way the game played out with um, Wolves sort of coming on to us more and, and being more effective after the uh, the half-time uh, whistle. But yeah, I think for me, it was Martinez, man of the match, and then Matty Cash uh, closely following up with another solid uh, display. Um, just a shame that he's going to miss the Burnley game now, like you say. Yeah, it's disappointing, but I think, you know, that's... It's going to be a test of our squad, um, and he's, you know it's going to be the biggest test for Dean Smith this season in terms of how he approaches games because of not having, you know, big players to fall back on, or not, and certainly not having your best eleven to fall back on because Matty Cash has been superb this season. Obviously, Barkley, um, you know, has been terrific for us as well. So, it's, so it's you know it's really important, but it was a massive win for us, and I think. I was happy before we won that penalty. I was, I was kind of happy that we. I was happy with the point. The only disappointing thing for me was because, um, you know, of, of where where I live, where we live. You know, there's a lot of Wolves fans around. I know a lot of Wolves fans, and I would have liked to have goaded them a bit, um, and I wouldn't have liked to have kind of settled for a, a point really against against the Wolves fans. Um, that was the only disappointing thing. But obviously, to get the win, it's fantastic, and um, and I think one. One thing that, uh, that I've seen, I saw Villa post it on Twitter. Was it was um, it was it showed El Ghazi's penalty, and now Grealish came along and kind of wanted to celebrate in the corner. And then you see everyone is that togetherness, and a few of the lads. I think John McGinn was one of them saying, "This the like you know McGinn don't Grealish." Concede, don't concede. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and defend for our lives and stuff like that. It's it's just brilliant. It just kind of shows that togetherness, doesn't it? Really, especially after the, 
you know, I know the obvious standout one is the you know 2015-16 season, but there has been a lot of a lot of seasons where we have had you know some some bad apples, so to speak, and not always had that harmony in the squad. Oh yeah, without a doubt, mate. It's um, it's back to that 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 way, isn't it? Now it feels more like Villa, and it feels like we have got that that true traditional sort of great leadership from the top all the way through to the manager and your captain, and then the players that are um, are coming and, and joining us. They're all in that type, same mold, aren't they? Um, everybody's looking to develop, not just as a, a personal sort of thing, but as a collective as well. Uh, which is great to see. And, and it does look like we have got some great characters in the dressing room, some strong characters, but also um, some really committed characters, uh, which is nice to see. And, and long may it continue. And hopefully that can grow even more further we go into this season and hopefully we can do something special. Yeah, definitely. Um, so as of recording, in terms of the Premier League table, um, we are... 11th in the league, uh, 18 points, and three games in hand on a lot of teams. Um, obviously, played 10, won six, drawn none, lost four, uh, scored 21, conceded 13, goal difference of eight, um, which is pretty good. Um, it is the, I think, the fourth best goal difference in the league um, behind Chelsea, Spurs, and Liverpool. So, not bad company there. And obviously, a win. If we got a win against Burnley, put us onto 21 points, which would put us seventh. So, you know, we would be pretty good. I think, you know, top seven still would have, would have two games in hand on a lot of teams, um, which would be quite good. And like I said before, I think for me, it's just to kind of keep that gap. I think Sheffield United realistically are down. Um, and I know it's one of them you think it's still early in the season, but... Sheffield United, they've played 12 games. So, you know, they've, they've got um, they've got uh, 26 games left. And, you know, they need to win. They need, they need to win half their games um, all around that to kind of stay up. If they win 13 games, what's that? Put them on 40 points. Um, 40 points is the magic number. I think it'll be a lot less this season. It was last season. Um, yeah, I think Sheffield United down. Um, it's, you know, it's certainly going to be tough. Um Tough for them to, to claw it back, West Brom. Obviously, they've sacked Slavon Bilic. Um, Sam Allardyce is going to come in. So, again, it's going to be tough. That, you know, there's those teams down there, um, but certainly a win. A win against Burnley to get us firmly in the top 10, just beyond the top six. Um, that kind of stuff is, is just a massive bonus. But as well, it's, it's just being able to kind of... I think, I think if we can relax going into next year, then, you know, surely... The kind of the, the lads would play with a bit more freedom going forward. Yeah, definitely, mate. It, it would be nice getting to that that sort of January the first. I think we've got Man United on Jan first, haven't we? On the evening, um, it would be nice going into that game if we were already up um, near the, the back end of the, the twenty points. So, sort of looking at sort of I don't know. You look at Burnley, Albion, potential maximum points, but again, you can't take anything for granted. If we were to pull those results off. You're up to 24 points already. And then those those Christmas fixtures that are coming quick and fast now. Uh, I think we've got, what, Crystal Palace in there on Boxing Day. That's another one where you think, well, um, you, could, yeah. you could get a point or three. Um, so then you could be looking at tw- 27 points. Um, and that would be just um, 
amazing going into the sort of second half of the season. And, and like we say, we have had a, a later start to this season due to circumstances outside of everybody's control with the, the pandemic. Um, so it's going to be interesting, those fixtures in the new year and the games aren't going to slow up um, and there's going to be a lot of fatigue in, in the squads. And it's it's just about how your squad copes, really, isn't it? And hoping that you don't pick up any major injuries. Y- your key players stay fit. Um, and for us, that's the likes of Barkley, Grealish, Watkins, Martinez, and then your, your two centre-halves. Um, that core of your team, you really don't want it to be missing for large periods of the season. So hopefully we can keep everybody together, keep the squad fit. We look to have a, a quite good sort of um, fitness about us at the moment. I think we do a lot of running off the ball, um, which helps when you're sort of looking at your defensive structure and then going forward as well to hold a high press against teams. So, yeah, let's let's hope we can put some results together now. Like we say, nothing is ever granted. Um, you have to earn it. You have to earn the right for those three points. You have to earn the right for just a single point in some games. Um, and we've just got to stay switched on, concentrated, fully focused, and make sure we're doing all that we can to come away with maximum points tomorrow and going into Sunday against the Baggies in the Derby. Yeah, definitely would be massive if we got, you know, like you say, we've got the three points tomorrow, take us to 21, could get to 24 if we beat West Brom. You've got the Palace game amongst there, so we could be really, really close to 30 points, um, you know, at the turn of the year, um, which would be massive. And, you know, I think playing with that, that freedom, that, you know, without that pressure going forward, without them thinking about relegation. And again, it's kind of what... What people think about going forward, you know, Jack Grealish is someone and Dean Smith admitted last week. He is somebody that, you know, like it or not, we've, we've, we have got to please him. We've got to kind of match his ambition. And it's tough because obviously a, a player like Jack Grealish, who, who I think has, he's probably within the top three um, best players in the Premier League so far this season. I think there's a lot of big players who, who've underperformed. Um, I think he's he's been brilliant in, in I think probably every game this season. Wolves was probably his quietest game, but you know we still you still a part in, in in us getting the win. I think you know we, if we kind of show that ambition to move up. Who knows what happens in, in January in terms of any new additions coming in? Then it's, it could be really exciting for us. But you know knowing <laughs> knowing what what football is like um, in general. Obviously, being Aston Villa fans, we know how quickly things can change. And, you know, if you just look back at that 2015-16 season when we signed all those players, we signed Micah Richards and we thought, you know what, Villa are back and it changed quickly. Not saying that's going to happen, but in terms of, you know, we've we've got a win and and we're kind of doing quite well pushing the top 10. A win could really see us pushing the top six, theoretically. Um you know, we, we kind of know not to get ahead of ourselves. But um, a massive thank you to to Joe, who joined us earlier when we did a match preview Burnley, as always. Massive thanks to Ian. Pleasure, mate. Always a pleasure. It's great to be on. It's, uh, it's nice to bite into uh, these tedious and uh, long evenings at the moment when we can't get out of the house and uh, got nothing better to do. So, yeah, it's always great to be on. Yeah, exactly. It's a bit of um, this is a bit of a double header episode um, in terms of it's doing a bit of a preview for the Burnley game. Um, full 90 as well um, aftermath for the Wolves game because didn't do it last week all my fault do apologise um, along the bottom of the screen is a ticker uh, you can follow us on Twitter follow us on Instagram we are at Villa Together 
um, email us on villa together at gmail.com. Um, we're on YouTube. We research Villa Together. We're on there. Um, anyone who who does listen um, or does watch our videos, please hit the subscribe button to subscribe to us. That really helps us push on and grow the channel. Um, also, if you go onto YouTube, there's some some really good uh, episodes on there. Um, us guys chatting every week. If you want to listen to that, um, it's usually a bit of an analysis from from the games that we've had in the past. Um, also, there's some good interviews on there with um, with some celebrity fans and ex players. Um, there's Sean Teal, Lewis Kinsella, um, Simon Grayson, uh, Yannick Balassi. And we've also interviewed um, some celebrity fans, David Reed from Sky Sports, um, Nigel Boyle, aka Villa Boise um from line of duty um also interviewed ian taylor um which was uh which, which was a good crack we did that one with boise um a lot lot more still to come from us um so yeah if anyone wants to get involved and appear on the podcast give us a shout always happy to respond to dms respond to emails etc but a massive thank you for everyone for watching and listening it's been a bit of a long one today because as i said it's a bit of a double header uh preview and a full 90 together uh, thank you very much for listening. Uh, I am Chris Ellis. We've been Villa Together and look forward to next week, which actually will be tomorrow after the next game, where we can all talk Villa together. Thank you very much. <laughs>